Law enforcement reporter Byron Tao has been covering a big-time political donor. He's given to Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, Donald Trump, and just a number of other politicians of, of both parties. That donor's name is Ahmad Zuberi. Ahmad is a lot of things. He is a business person. He is a political donor. He's got this international man of mystery aspect to himself where he flies around the world, meets with foreign leaders and very important business people. And on top of all of that, documents reviewed by The Wall Street Journal show that Ahmad Zuberi was playing another role. While he was peddling influence in Washington, Zuberi may have been traveling the world, collecting information for the CIA. His story exposes the high-stakes game of global influence and raises questions about how the U.S. government values espionage. He's operating at the highest levels of international business, and according to some documents I've seen, he's also allegedly working for the Central Intelligence Agency. And it's a window into a world of money and power and the ways in which Different government entities, political donations, and international business all converge in a very shadowy and interesting way. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, April 26th. Coming up on the show, an international man of mystery his alleged ties to the CIA, and the documents that reveal his past. This episode is brought to you by Walmart. Walmart is committed to helping associates live better. As one of the first companies to remove college degree requirements from the majority of their roles, Walmart is creating opportunities for associates to build careers based on their real-life experiences. In fact, the company is investing over $1 billion in career-driven training and development programs. Learn why it pays to work at Walmart at walmart.com slash skills first. Ahmad Zuberi was born in Pakistan and moved to upstate New York with his parents when he was three. He went on to serve in the U.S. Army and study at the University of Southern California. And before the CIA even came into the picture, Zuberi began his career in the business world. Mostly international business. So he worked for a big insurance company during his formative years and then essentially went off on his own around 2009 started his own sort of boutique international firm that did valuations and a little bit of investment work, advising, mostly abroad. He genuinely appears to have cultivated lots and lots of connections at the highest levels of international business, particularly in the Middle East, in emerging markets, and in Asia. In 2012, Zuberi parlayed his business stature into a role in American politics. He got involved with Obama's re-election. He took on senior fundraising positions with the campaign and tried to drum up support for Obama among South Asian Americans. He was very good at networking. He was very good at bringing people together. And that's what made him a successful donor. 
why was he interested in becoming a political donor? He certainly had business interests that benefited from the perception of proximity to power in the U.S. His agenda, generally speaking, was not ideological. He was more interested in business. He was more interested in development. And he was more interested in the kind of relationships that could come from being in and around politicians who were in the know and who were important. Those connections were useful not just to political candidates, but to foreign governments as well. In 2014, the government of Sri Lanka was looking for someone to advocate for them in Washington over alleged human rights abuses. And they turned to Zuberi. Imad, this political fixer who had also extensive business experience, was close to the Sri Lankans, gets a pile of money, hires a couple of his friends and associates to run this campaign of hiring lobbying firms, and he's the one directing the money. It was around this time that Byron got interested in Zuberi. Because Zuberi appeared to be doing the work of a lobbyist, but he wasn't officially registered as one. Byron wanted to know why and he started hounding Zuberi for an answer. I finally got him to agree to meet with me, and he was in town for this swanky Washington DNC fundraising event at a Washington hotel. There were all these politicians and DNC bigwigs. He was, you know, schmoozing and backslapping and just the usual Washington stuff, but exaggerated. He made about 15 minutes for me on the sidelines of this meeting. He made me meet him, you know, just off the main room where the fundraiser was and explained to me that he was just trying to help the Sri Lankans. He wasn't a lobbyist. You know, he was just a connected person trying to do a favor for his friends and his business associates abroad. And out of an abundance of caution, he would file all the paperwork and make sure that the government knew he was lobbying or was basically going to make sure all the paperwork was right. It was an interesting encounter, but I didn't really feel like I had the full story either. So Byron kept an eye on Zuberi's career. So the next time he pops up, he's this major Hillary donor. It's now 2016, and he hosted a fundraiser for Hillary at one point and, you know, was tweeting very actively in support of her. But Zuberi's allegiance to Clinton only went so far. Abruptly, within days of her loss, if not within hours, he switched entirely from being very pro-Hillary and tweeting very nice things about Hillary Clinton to tweeting very pro-Trump things and very quickly pivoted to becoming a huge donor to Trump. He became close with Michael Cohen and started, you know, working on some real estate deals. He went to Trump Tower at one point with a group of Qatari businessmen and just generally found his way into Trump's extended orbit. Zuberi ramped up donations to congressional Republicans and donated close to a million dollars to Trump's inaugural committee, which eventually landed him in hot water. In the Southern District of New York, investigators are looking into President Trump's inaugural committee and possible illegal donations from foreign nationals. In late 2018, federal prosecutors in Manhattan launched an investigation looking into whether Trump's inaugural committee received any illegal foreign donations. Prosecutors zeroed in on one person. 
In a sweeping subpoena first reported by ABC News, the U.S. Attorney for New York Southern District demanding documents related to everyone who donated to the committee, only one person is mentioned by name, Imad Zubiri. A venture capitalist from California who donated $900,000 to the committee and attempted to... His name was on this subpoena as part of an investigation into whether foreign money had flowed to Donald Trump, which would be illegal. And he was the only person named in this subpoena. And so that set off a frenzy among reporters like me and my colleagues who cover the Justice Department and the Trump White House about exactly what they were looking at. And you're like, hey, I, I know this guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe I literally sent that text message to uh, one of my colleagues, like, oh man, Imad Zuberi, I know him. And, you know, that subpoena set off this whole renewed interest in him that culminated in a world of legal trouble for him. In October 2019, the Justice Department brought charges against Zuberi that went beyond Trump's inauguration. They charged him with making illegal campaign contributions, some from foreign sources, to both political parties. They also charged him with tax evasion and obstructing justice. And the case turned up something else, something more. Legal documents, mostly filed in secret by Zuberi's defense, told a story about another role Zuberi had been playing the whole time. Eventually, peeling back the layers of the onion here, what I found out was that Imad had a at least 10-year history working for the Central Intelligence Agency as a human source. Imad was essentially a volunteer spy for the United States. That's after the break. During Zuberi's court case, Byron was able to review some legal documents, which showed that while Zuberi was meeting with foreign governments and donating to top U.S. politicians, he was also serving as an intelligence source for the CIA. According to sources Byron spoke to and documents he's seen, Zuberi got into intelligence work in California through an official in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office. Imad started doing counterterrorism work in the L.A. area after 9-11 for the L.A. County Sheriff's Office. After 9-11, there was a lot of concern about terrorism here in the United States, and people who could blend into the local South Asian or the local Muslim community were very valuable to law enforcement. So Imad was recruited as someone who had credibility and sources in that community, who could uh, be counted on by the L.A. County Sheriff's Office to pass information back or, um, you know, participate in operations. And at some point, people in the Sheriff's Office realized that he had all these international business connections and was potentially a very good source for the CIA. The office of the L.A. County Sheriff didn't respond to a request for comment. The CIA is largely prohibited from operating domestically. But one of the things it can do in the U.S. is recruit Americans. And the CIA looks for people just like Zuberi, well-traveled Americans with a high-profile network they can tap into. The CIA has an entire domestic operation focused on recruiting people like him, people with high-level business connections or high-level 
foreign government connections, who are loyal patriotic Americans who can be quietly and covertly asked for their insights or their expertise on various countries or with various officials. And what kind of work did these documents suggest he was doing for the CIA? What we've learned from sources is that his work started with sort of just debriefings. You met with the foreign minister of this country. Can we have lunch with you and and hear about that meeting and, and maybe glean some insight into what that foreign minister's thinking? Eventually, that relationship grew deeper and that he was eventually sort of tasked with things, asked to do things, deliver messages, facilitate introductions. When you dug up evidence that he was working for the CIA, were you surprised? I was both very surprised and also it explained a lot about Imad. What did it explain? What do you mean by that? He just had these relationships with prominent Americans, with prominent um, foreigners. He just found himself at the center of all these moments of geopolitical interest or intrigue. Um, He had a deep Rolodex of retired generals, ambassadors, foreign officials, just people who could be counted on or who he could um, call for favors. It just helped explain the way he was operating and the kinds of things he was both interested in and doing. Zuberi pleaded guilty to tax evasion, illegal campaign contributions, not filing proper paperwork to register as a foreign agent, and obstruction of justice. According to people familiar with the defense's thinking, he hoped it would help his court case. His lawyers realized there were genuine legal problems for him in almost all of these spaces and encouraged him to become a cooperator with the government to show his good faith, to plead guilty, and to emphasize that he had been a longtime intelligence cooperator. Does the CIA have any influence in how cases like this are handled, or are they kind of powerless to the justice system? The CIA can't really get you out of crimes. In general, the CIA doesn't have get-out-of-jail-free cards. So if, if you have legal problems in America and the Justice Department decides they're serious enough legal problems that they're going to bring charges, the CIA can't cancel them. They can't get you out of that kind of trouble. The CIA hasn't confirmed that Zuberi gathered intelligence for them and referred all questions about Zuberi back to the Justice Department. The CIA doesn't love to talk about its operations, as you might guess. But if Zuberi did work for the CIA, wouldn't the government owe him something? Generally speaking, in cases like this, that kind of work is credited. And someone's history of cooperation, whether secret or not, can count at sentencing. But again, it you know, having a long history as a, a firefighter or a police officer doesn't excuse you of crimes. The judge has to weigh all of this. And this was a complicated and lengthy case. And the intelligence part was just one part of it. There were huge numbers of briefings about Zuberi's history as a donor, his tax liabilities, his relationships with foreign governments. And ultimately, the judge decided that all of the things that the prosecutors brought up and the need to deter that kind of influence peddling in America was much more important than whatever help he provided the government in the past. The judge sentenced Zuberi to 12 years in prison, a harsh sentence in these kinds of cases. Zuberi plans to appeal the sentence. 
A lawyer on his team said they may argue Zuberi's cooperation with intelligence agencies should be given more weight in his case. Prosecutors for the Justice Department declined to comment. Byron says this case points out fundamental differences between these government agencies. The Justice Department's aim is to stop crime here in America. The Justice Department saw in Imad the case of a person who was very close to a lot of foreign governments, did a lot of foreign business, had some tax problems, and possibly was a conduit for foreign influence into U.S. politics. And that's the top priority of the Justice Department to crack down on in recent years. On the other hand, the CIA sees this person as someone who's extremely well-connected, willing to cooperate, willing to help, willing to do things that are dangerous or would put himself at risk sometimes. And it goes to the different ways they see the world. It's like the same qualities that may make someone like Zuberi an asset for the CIA can also make them a target for the DOJ. It's interesting, right, because the very thing Imad is charged with, which is foreign influence peddling, representing foreign governments in the United States, is the same thing that the United States government was asking him to do abroad. That's according to documents I've reviewed. U.S., for the first time in 2016, was a very prominent victim of a foreign intelligence operation, namely Russian interference in the 2016 election. And that's made a lot of Americans concerned, and rightfully so, about the integrity of our elections and um, our ability to protect ourselves from malign foreign influence campaigns. Um, But it also should cause us to look in the mirror and think about what we do abroad and in the name of the American people in other countries. And that is one of the fundamental paradoxes of the intelligence business, that even in a democracy with laws and rules, we are asking or we are sometimes tasking, or we're sometimes paying people to break the law in other countries, to bring us information, to tell us things, um, to conduct operations. And so there is some very interesting levels of cognitive dissonance going on in this case. Uh, On the one hand, a legitimate U.S. government interest in curbing the activities of foreign governments here, And there's also a legitimate U.S. government interest in knowing what happens in countries that we consider our adversaries. And that paradox can sometimes exist within one person, which is Imad Zuberi. That's all for today. Monday, April 26th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. And listeners, are you Jeopardy fans? If so, we have a question for you. Who do you think should be Jeopardy's next host? Please email us your response and tell us why. Our email is thejournal at wsj.com. That's thejournal at wsj.com. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.